morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to be worshiping Jesus together. Amen? What a special time, and we're so grateful for the worship team. They come before all of us. They rehearse. They make sure that everything's on point. And then when we come all together and we sing along them, when we praise Jesus alongside of them, it makes us so very special. It fills, I, if, it, if it, this worship it, it is able to fill my heart with joy, imagine the heart of God. That because this is all for him. So it's so good that we get to be in the presence of God. Uh, I, do we have people that are visiting Riverside Lisbon for the very first time today? Do we have? Okay. Quite a few. Let's welcome this morning. You're very welcome, and we're very glad that we get to worship Jesus with you. And I'm so excited this morning as well because we're starting a new message series. And it's been a while since we uh, did a message series, so, um, but even more because of the topic. So this Sunday, we're starting a message series based on the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. It's right the second book of the Bible and you might be asking, why Exodus? Of all the things that we can study together. Because Exodus contains an important piece of the story of the people of Israel. And so it is really worthwhile doing it. But mostly because what happened to the people of Israel 3,500 years ago, more or less, is deeply linked to the faith that we today profess as Christians in the person of Jesus Christ. It's so linked that we understand that the story that we're going to explore together in the book of Exodus and the, the story of God's people in this book is actually our own story. It's the story of our spiritual lives. And as an extra, something even ex more exciting about it, Exodus lays a foundational theology in which God reveals his name, his attributes, his redemption, his law, and how he's meant to be worshipped. So if we want to know who God is, we have the right book in front of us. So we're going to start from the beginning. And let's read together Exodus chapter 1 verse 1. If you have a Bible with you, if you have the Bible app, it's right the second book in the whole Bible. So it's very easy to find. So this is what the word says. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, which with his family. Reuben, what a wonderful name. <laughs> right? It's actually my name. So there you go, if you don't know. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. So the main action part of this book is about how God freed his people, the people of Israel, from slavery in Egypt. And that's why the name of the book for us is Exodus. It's a Latin-based word, 
And um, no, it's a Latin word derived from the Greek. Forgive me if you are an expert in these languages. Exodus, a word that means exit, means departure. So these first verses are actually the beginning of season two. So there's a book before Exodus that is the book of Genesis. And Genesis is season one. It's where it all starts, and it's exciting, and it's an epic story. Like in almost every show that we watch these days, season one, it's, it's when it sets the tone. And if you love a show, it has to start with season one. If it's, season one doesn't grab your attention, you're not going to watch season two at all. What happens very often is sometimes because Gabby's work schedule and my schedule and we have the girls at home, sometimes it doesn't really connect. So sometimes Gabby is relaxing and I'm still working or behind the computer doing something and she will start watching a show. And before I know it, she already finished season one. And when I start watching the show, she's already in season two. And I try to understand what is happening because I want to watch something with her. And it's really hard because I don't understand a thing that is going on. So I understand how frustrating it is sometimes, if we don't know much about the Bible, to start things in season two. And then sometimes the preacher jumps to season 34. And then it's so confusing sometimes. So let me give you a small recap. I, I've seen this happen, and you can testify. All, you, all of you watch Amazon and Netflix and Disney Plus, right? I'm, I'm with the right crowd. You understand what I'm talking about. Please say something. Yeah, let's interact. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. That happens to me as well. So when you start season two, even if you've seen season one, there's a two, three-minute recap of the main points, the, thing, the main things that happen. So let me give you this recap so that we're on the same page. And we've read all these beautiful names. And you know the names of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob, God changed his name to Israel. Israel had 12 sons. One of them is named Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. Later on, he's unjustly put in prison. In prison, Joseph is able, by God's grace, to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh, in those times, he was having really weird dreams. But what do you know? Then Joseph comes to him and reveals the meaning of those dreams that the the, it, the whole earth was going to go through a famine and the people needed to prepare. And God anoints Joseph so much that he becomes number two in the whole kingdom of, of Egypt. The famine forced um, Joseph's family that was in the holy land of the promised land to come to Egypt so that they could endure and not perish during that famine. And eventually they're all reunited alongside Jacob and his son Joseph, and this is where we are. They're all in the land of Egypt. They're all, and the Bible says that they multiplied so greatly, they became extremely powerful and filled the land. So there's something important that we need to learn about Egypt. Egypt started off to be a place of God's blessing and provision for the people of Israel. There were seven years of famine on the land, but God had a way to provide for his people because God always finds a way. It might be a surreal way, this recap of season one that I've told you about. It's way too much, but it was really hard as well. 
And for Joseph, I probably feel that sometimes he felt that this way was a bit unfair because it involved him being sold as a slave, because it involved him being thrown unfairly in prison. But God was able to turn everything for good. They were in Egypt, and they were blessed. They were powerful. They filled the land. So if there is one thing that Exodus firmly instills in our minds from the very beginning, is that God's plan never ceases to move forward. God's plan never ceases to move forward. It can be the darkest of times, but God's plan never ceases to move forward. God is never caught by surprise. God never says, oh, wait a minute, what did these people do? Okay, let me catch my breath. Let me think for a little second what I'm going to do next. No. On our side of things, sometimes we feel... That God has left our lives. Sometimes we feel that God has left our country. Sometimes we feel that God has left the whole planet. But God is actively moving his plan forward. And in this case, God was moving his plan forward through the life of Joseph. He was moving his plan forward through his provision to the people of Israel. Now, if you are familiar with the story, and I know that many of you are, whenever we hear the words Israelites and Egypt, what comes to mind, what we're tempted to think is captivity, is enslavement, is suffering. But when God sent the people of Israel to Egypt, it wasn't for them to be persecuted, but it was for their provision. Just because circumstances change, it doesn't mean that God's plans have changed. Just because circumstances have changed, it doesn't mean that God has changed towards you. It doesn't mean that God abandoned you. It just means that God's plan is moving forward. And I know, oh, how I know. How it's hard to let go. It's hard to see the place where you are so blessed, where you experience so much joy, being transformed into the place that is giving you so much heartache, that is giving you so much headache. But that's why in our journey on earth, we do not focus on eyes, on things and on people. We focus on God. We focus our eyes on God. Everything might change, but God never changes. And His plan is still moving forward. And if His plan is moving forward, it means that He is moving you forward. It means that you might have to change, but it means that God is moving you forward. It means that he has more to do in your life today. So when we start seeing things shifting in our lives, when you start seeing things moving in your life, rest on the fact that God is sovereign. Rest on this fact that he is in control and he is always moving his plan forward. Let's continue reading the word. 
Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Phitom and Ramses and supply centers for the king. Continuing. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. And the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix more tar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. So here's where circumstances for the people of Israel quickly became very, very, very dark. This new king, this pharaoh, started to make decisions without acknowledging the past. The Bible says he knew nothing about Joseph and what he had done. He didn't know that the reason Egypt still existed, it was because of this man Joseph and his God. He didn't know how God used Joseph to help the Egyptian people survive a seven years long famine in the land. Without Joseph, there would be no more Pharaoh. But he didn't know anything about it. And when he started thinking without having knowledge, terrible things happened. And this is a big difference between a good leader and a bad leader. Between making a good decision and a bad decision. A good leader seeks knowledge before they start thinking. And when that happens, great things happen. But when bad leaders start thinking without seeking knowledge first, without being informed, somehow they make every single mess even messier. And sometimes they even create a whole new mess just because they can. And that's what happened with Pharaoh. This bad leader started to see Israel as a threat instead of a blessing. And they were such a blessing in the land of Egypt. So he started to oppress the people of Israel, the Bible says, without mercy. Looking at other human beings without any mercy. Now, the fascinating thing about the Bible, being the word of God and being perfect, is that it doesn't shy away of letting us know of people's terrible decisions. And we have plenty of examples in the Bible. And sometimes and many times we learn from the good examples, but most of the times, I'm preaching to this guy here, we learn from the bad examples. And one thing that I learn about this man, about this Pharaoh, is that we are all inches away of making bad decisions. It doesn't require any effort. 
it's tempting to respond to challenges, to change, to conflict, to problems without seeking knowledge first. Because who has time to do that anyway? Let's just do what we feel like doing. But what we fail to acknowledge most of the time is that the cost of the bad decisions that we tend to make with our lives are a lot bigger than taking the route of humility and recognizing that I need to seek knowledge first and admitting I don't know. I need help. I need wisdom. Good leaders and people who make good decisions with their lives, it's not because they have a good gut feeling. They have such a good gut feeling. They do everything. Everything works out. I'm not like that. No. They make good decisions because they seek knowledge first. They seek wisdom first. And this path of humility is the first thing that we need to take. And where is the first place? I'm talking to many Christians here, I think. Where is the first place where we need to seek knowledge and wisdom? It's in the Word of God. The Bible says, the Lord gives wisdom. Four simple words. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And James continues, if any of you needs wisdom, and wisdom is knowledge that we can apply to our daily lives on which way should I go, what should I do, if we need wisdom to know what we should do, you should ask God. You should simply ask God. And he will give it to you. He is generous to everyone and will give you wisdom without criticizing you. So those decisions that you and I, we need to make those problems that we cannot solve. Come to God first. Come to God. Come to his word. The Lord gives wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And he will not say, come on, Pedro. Again, we've been through this. That's what Jode says, by the way, probably. No. <laughs> no. Sometimes. Seriously, Pedro, you should know better than this. Again, God will not criticize you if you bring him your problems. He knows exactly what you need and how to give that knowledge to you. And the word of God does the best of two things. It gives us wisdom and knowledge that come from God himself. Because he cares for you. He loves you. But it also tells us where we came from. The word of God tells us our story. What are we doing here? And that plays such an important role on how we choose to live our lives. And the Bible is very clear. God created us. He created you. He loves you. He cares for you. He cared for everyone that came before you. But most of our lives, they don't look that great because we mess up all the time. 
We mess up along the way. Sometimes other people mess us up along the way. But God sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. This Jesus that we sing about. This Jesus that is God's present for us. So that everyone who trusts in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So if you know this, if you know that God cares for you, if you know that God is for you, if you know that God wants to be part of your life, it is not wise to leave God behind. It is not wise to not surrender your life to him. It's not wise to live without embracing his salvation, his love, his wisdom that we so much need. It was and still is the best decision that I personally made in my 35 years of life. And I want to ask you, how many of you would say that accepting Jesus and embracing his love and receiving his wisdom is the best thing that has happened in your life? So many of us, and I didn't force any of you to raise your hands, easily the best decision that we've made. And maybe that's the decision that some of you need to make this morning. And if this is you, I would love to chat at the end of the service with you for a little while and talk to you more about it. But let's continue reading in Exodus in, in verse 15. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? Next, please. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They're more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. They were women. So God was good to the midwives. And the Israelites continue to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. But you may let the girls live. We are introduced to these two heroes. Shifra and Puah. When this mad king gave orders for these midwives to kill all male babies who were born, they refused. And why did they refuse? They refused because they feared God. Now, I find this fascinating because I know deep down that most people would fear Pharaoh. The most powerful man in the whole land gave you an order. But the Bible says that these two women, they feared God. 
In the midst of our difficulties, we, are, we tend to fear what is causing the pain. When we suffer, we tend to fear the author of the pain. We tend to fear the person that is causing us the pain. But we must remember that it is God who we must fear. Now, if you don't know who God is at all, and it may be some of you, if you have no clue about who God is, about His personality, about His way of being, the fear of God would be the fear of His judgment and the fear of His condemnation. But if you believe in God and if you know Him, Through Scripture, the fear of God is something much different. Fearing God means such a reverence for Him that it impacts the way that you choose to live your life. It's loving Him so much that even the thought of offending Him offends you almost as much as it would offend the heart of God. It's respecting Him, and it's obeying Him. It's submitting to His ways and, and worshiping God in awe. And the Bible says in Proverbs 1.7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. So until we understand, until you and I, we understand who God really is, that He is holy and just and righteous, we will not be able to make the best decisions in life. Because when you are sure of all of this, when you are so sure about the character of God, you will value God's law above any other law. And the rule of thumb is for us Christians is if there's any human law that tries to override God's sovereign laws, we have to choose to obey God's laws. They're higher. They're greater. Christians comply to the laws of this country and many countries in the world because thankfully, and I'm, I'm grateful for that, I live in a country that which laws, many come from the Word of God. From the things and this knowledge that we've passed from generation to generation, people that feared God. But at some point and in some areas, the law may say something different. And I have to say, I'm very sorry, but I follow a different king. I follow a different God. That's why Pharaoh was wicked and these two women, they were wise. Because they obeyed God's will before they obeyed Pharaoh's will. And God moved his plan forward through their reverence, through their obedience, through their submission to the perfect will of God. And I don't know exactly if the midwives lied or not. I don't know if they, we don't know much about it, if they actually made sure that they informed everyone. Maybe they did workshop for everyone. Hey, all of you husbands, this is how you deliver a baby at home. Because we can't be there. Imagine all the, the husbands just panicking. Woof. 
But maybe that was the plan. Or maybe they lied. I don't know. I don't actually, personally, I don't think that they lied. They made sure that when they were there, the babies were already born. There was nothing that they could do. So God blessed these women. God moved his plan forward in these women's lives and gave them families. In the hardest of circumstances, these women saw a breakthrough in their lives. And notice this. We still have no clue about the name of this Pharaoh. We still, in this point of the story, have no clue who this Pharaoh is. But we know that Shifra and Pua, they have their names written for all eternity. Because... They were brave because they trusted God, because they surrendered their hearts to God before they would surrender to any other authority. And I know that in our own set of circumstances, some of you are trying really hard to succeed. You're doing your very, very best so that you can make the right choices, that you have everything under control. But know this, it's not worth it to do it without God. It's not worth it to do it without God. We need to put God first in our lives. We need to seek God first. And don't fall into the trap of fearing Pharaoh. Don't fall into the trap of fearing what's going ha- to happen, what others might think of you. Don't fall into the trap of your own pride and trying to figure out things for yourself. Fear God first. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust the Lord completely. Trust the Lord completely. And don't depend on your own knowledge. With every step you take, think about what He wants. Are you like me? We think about what we want. We think about what is going to work out best for us. If we go to a counselor, even not bad-mouthing counselors, we have counselors in this church and we love people that help other people. But if your counselor, if, if the first thing that he says, you need to seek what you want, you need to seek what makes you happy, that's not the best advice in life. You need to seek first what God wants for your life. Because the things that God wants for your life are much better than anything that you can come up for your own life. Seek God first. He made you. He loves you. He has a plan. And the only thing that you need to do is trust him completely. He's saying, God, I don't know what is going on. I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know why this decision that I make is turning out this way. But God, I choose to trust in you. I choose to trust in you that in your power, in your wisdom, in the way that you do things, you will make a way where there is no way. And I surrender this to you. And you will see the faithfulness of God. Trust the Lord completely. Now let me say this again. God isn't surprised by the action 
and evil, evil actions that people do on this earth. They're the cause of pain and turmoil even in our own lives. But they're not capable of wiping out God's plan. God is actively participating in the unfolding of the story for the good. Already knowing the end from the very beginning. You want to see something really, really, really cool? Really, really mind-blowing in the Word of God. Several years before everything that was going on right now in Egypt where we are. God told this to Abram in Genesis chapter 15. Then the Lord said to Abram, you should know this. Your descendants will live in a country that is not their own. There will be strangers there. The people there will make them slaves and be cruel to them for 400 years. But then I will punish the nation that made them slaves. Your people will leave that land and they will take many good things with them. Thank you, God, for such a big spoiler. This is basically the whole book of Exodus. From the very beginning, God knew that his people would suffer for 400 years. He said, the people there will be cruel. And watch this. It wasn't God who was cruel. It was the people of Egypt. And I know that depending on where you are in your spiritual life, many times we tend to blame God for anything and everything. But especially for the things that other people have done to us. But God is not the author of those sufferings. God says the people there will do this. But now notice what God is saying next. The people there will, but then I will. The people there will, but then I will. This is what they're going to do to you, but this is what I am going to do with you. This is what you will have to go through, but this is how I am going to carry you through. Because we don't serve a God that abandons us when things get hard. We serve a God that showed his faithfulness to the people of Israel in those very hard 400 years. 400 years of pain. Pain will be part of our story. The Bible tells us from cover to cover... That pain will be part of our story. If you're looking for a faith, if you're looking for a philosophy, if you're looking for a religion that says it's possible to escape suffering, I'm sorry to break it, it's not a real faith. It's not a real philosophy. Suffering is part of life. Pain is part of life. But if there's a point to our suffering... If there's a reason for our pain, ultimately it needs to be this. It's to reveal the glory of God in our lives. 
The Bible says in Romans 8, 18, what we are suffering now, and let's be very honest, honest moment at church on a Sunday morning, how many of you are suffering one way or another? Let's be honest. We all smile. We're all happy. In one way or another, we are experiencing suffering. We are experiencing pain. Thank you to the brave ones. But we need to be sure of this. There is a plan, a future glory in your life. We thank God for the spoiler because we know, even if it was just for the name of the book, that the people of God will be delivered. They will leave the land of their own oppression. So I know, we know, we can be 100% sure that there is a plan, a future glory in our lives. It may still be unfolding, and we might not be seeing it clearly, or you don't even know, and I don't even know how God is going to do it, because it looks just too crazy. And I might not know, but I know 100%, I would bet you anything in my life, that God can turn any suffering into future glory. Think with me, if God was able to move to about 2.4 million people out of Egypt of enslavement, what are our problems compared to that? What is it in your life that you cannot bring to God because God wouldn't know what to do? I'm not preaching to you right now. I'm preaching to myself. What is there in our lives... that we selfishly take and try to fix on our own when God says, come to me. I don't know what you're going through. You don't know many things maybe I'm going through, but I know that God can deliver you from it. I know that God will deliver you from it. And you will not only leave those circumstances behind, but you will take many good things with you, just like the people of Israel did. I still don't understand many of the sufferings that I had to go through in life, but one thing is sure, I have many good things in my life. Many great things that I have to be grateful for. Yes, I have my share of sufferings. Yes, I have my share of pain. You should see me on, on Monday when I started, when I bent my back and I couldn't even walk straight. I was like this, like a 65-year-old and I'm a 35-year-old. We go through pain and we go through sufferings. But I can rejoice in the Lord for all the great things that He has done in my life. And all the blessings that he has surrounded me with. And maybe, just maybe, you don't have a roof over your head. Maybe you don't have a job for a while. Maybe things are starting to look very terrible and very sad. But the light of the Lord is your guide. The love of the Lord is with you. 
His presence is with you. And we can know for sure that he will open the way. And while there are some sufferings that I don't know, honestly, if we're going to see the breakthrough in this lifetime. Because depending on, on how you live your faith, and I know maybe some of you believe, no, everything needs to work out. Everything needs to be fixed here right now. In the name of Jesus, we say, now, now, now. Okay. I say what the word of God says, may it be done according to your faith. But I know, and even through the word of God, that there are sufferings that might last a lifetime. I know that my aunt suffers even until this day. Because maybe 20, 25 years ago, she lost her daughter. And will you ever say to this woman that her pain will simply go one day? No. Every time she thinks of her, God has dealt with her pain immensely. And thank God for that. But every time she thinks longer about that, she cries. She suffers. You can see her pain. It's hard. But even if our sufferings have to last this life, they will not last for a lifetime because our lifetime is in eternity with God. Even, the Bible says, even if we have to suffer for a little while, it's going to be worth it. Even if suffering is part of the deal of life, it's worth it. And I've heard this from people that have gone through the much worse things than I have ever gone through in life. I've met Christians that have been abused when they were children. I've met Christians that have, are going and have gone through cancer. I've met Christians go through everything that everyone else goes through in life. But one thing that I've seen is hope. A hope that nothing and no one can take away. Again, if we have to make a decision, how are we going to live our lives? How are we going to deal with our circumstances? Wisdom is found when we're following the Lord. One day, you and I we will say it was all worth it. And I don't know if it's going to be here or if it's going to be in eternity. And I pray that we will be able to recognize each other in eternity. I think we will. We will say to each other, it was all worth it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And I want to close reading 1 Corinthians 10, 11. As an introduction still to what's going to happen next. In the next chapters of the story of Exodus. But the Bible says, All these things happen to the people of Israel for a reason. To sound a warning. They were written down and passed down to us to teach us. They were meant specially for us because the beginning 
of the end is happening in our time. Now we are again living in very confusing, very uncertain times. And we don't know much about what is going on in the minds of our world leaders, especially one particular man's mind that caused all of this suffering that is happening right now in Ukraine and it is affecting people all over the world. But what the Bible says is that we're getting closer to the end. If when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians was the beginning of the end, I think it's very safe to say that we are now closer to the end than he was. And what do we do when we don't understand the world today? What do we do when our stability and our balance is taken away? We have to look back and see what God did. Because I may not understand what God is doing right now. But one thing is certain, looking back, I know the things that he did in the past. And if there's a lesson that we can take from Exodus by looking back, even in our own stories with God, is that God is moving his plan forward is that God keeps His promises even when we don't understand everything that He is doing. We can trust Him completely. His plans may not include our immediate happiness, but it will always result in future glory. In the midst of everything that is going on, know this, God is still working. God is working. And He's calling us to trust in His plans. Will you stand with me as we pray? Lord, we want to bring our hearts before You this morning, thanking You for Your Word, thanking You for Your faithfulness, thanking You that we are able to see the God who was and is and is to come. Lord, and as we look back, we witness your faithfulness and we witness your kindness to the people of Israel, Lord. And we know that their story is our story. We know that the way that you carry them through is the same way that you're going to carry us through. Lord, I want to pray for every single person in this room. I want to pray for us because only you know the kind of sufferings that each person is going through, Lord. And, and there's so many things outside of our control, so many things that we don't know about, so many uncertainties. And Father, and a lot of pain and suffering along the way. But Lord, we bring our lives before you saying, Lord, we don't know, but you know all things. Best of all, you know us deeply. You know exactly what we need. So we ask, Lord, for wisdom. We ask for knowledge. We ask for peace. We ask for more of your love. We ask for answers for the situations and the problems that we uh, need to take steps to fix. And 
Father, continue to fill our hearts with this humility and this desire to grow in your ways and doing your will. Put on us the fear of your name more than any other fear that we might have for other people or things. Father, we want to also continue to bring our world before you. And the nations that are going through war and going through suffering and, and another mi uh, migration crisis, Lord, we don't have the answers and we don't know how to fix, Lord, but you know how to fix. We pray for world leaders and we pray especially for those who are not doing the best decisions. Lord, may they start to fear your name. Lord, pour down fear of your name inside their hearts. Even if there's no mercy for other, towards other human beings, Lord, may the fear of your name guide them. We pray for comfort. We pray for peace. We pray for hope for those who are suffering right now in the hands of all of these bad decisions. And Father, may you allow us as your church, as your family, to shine in these very dark times again. Use us for your glory, Lord. Thank you for everything that you're doing in us and through us and we want to continue giving you all the praise that your name deserves.